What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-host, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You are listening to the Quick Cage and Frank. Which movie do we have uh, tonight that you're going to tell us about? So, as uh, we talked about this on the last Quick Cage, is that right? Yeah, that's where we. I found this movie on Plex. Yeah. So anyway, so as um, as previewed on the last Quick Cage tonight, we're going to talk about the 2011. Uh, action thriller um, Seeking Justice uh, it's directed by Roger, Roger Donaldson um, and also stars uh, January Jones, uh, Harold Pirineau, um Guy Pierce, Sandra Berkeley um, and the chick that played Dexter's sister uh, Jennifer Carpenter I think? Yeah, I think that's right uh, so this is like I'm describe this movie. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the basic plot. So, Nicholas Cage is a English teacher, one of his favorite professions to play, um, who teaches in New Orleans, one of his favorite cities to act in, and is married to a super hot woman who's probably much too attractive for him, but you're led to believe that it's this crazy mutual attraction because of his charm and his joie de vivre. Uh, and she's played by Jennifer or um, January Jones, not Jennifer Jones. It'd be a, a weird movie. Um, so they have this great life and he's super respected by his mostly, um, mostly black students. He teaches in like a, an inner city school. Um, they of course live in this, Friggin' like beautiful apartment in the French Quarter, which I don't know how they could afford with him being a teacher. I can't remember what she does. Oh, she's a um I mean, do you know if this is his actual home maybe that they used? Like in nah, New Orleans? It's definitely, it's definitely not. It, it, it it's an apartment. It's just a really nice apartment. Oh, okay. Um she's a um she's a concert violinist for the Philharmonic. That's what she does. Right. So one night uh, him and Harold Pirineau are out at the chess club um, with their cell phones off because you can't have your cell phone <laughs> on in this chess club. Um, playing chess after school. Chess club, Jesus Christ. And um, January Jones gets brutally beaten and raped after leaving uh, practice. Um, so Nicolas Cage finds out afterwards that this has happened. Because he has seven missed calls. Um, so he goes to the hospital. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Stop. All right. So he has seven missed calls from who? Like, is this from like oh, hospital police? Like, no, no, no. You, you, you don't know who they're from. Is she, just... I mean, not to be disrespectful, but is she like getting raped and trying to call him? Like, who who are these calls from? No, I think they're they're post rape. Okay, post rape. Okay. All right. Um, okay. She's she's in and out of consciousness. Like, they imply at one point that she's in a coma, but then she's okay. Anyway, 
Uh, they make this big deal of showing him turn off the phone because um, phones play a pivotal part in this movie. So I'm assuming that this is some. <laughs> I'm captivated already. Attempted <laughs> like foreshadowing, or maybe of like the importance of phones okay. over the next like six hours of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so they make a big deal about him turning off the phone as he goes to sit down to play chess. Like there's a sign that says, uh, "Please silence your phones before you sit at a table" or something like that. So then they can make a big deal about him turning the phone back on and it pops up seven this calls. And he's like, Ooh. so anyway, uh-huh. so he goes to the hospital and she's unresponsive and he's all broken up because whatever, you know, it's his wife. And sure. the police officers are like, oh, we'll do what we can to bring this guy in. So like 15 minutes later, he's sitting in the lobby and Guy Pierce is there and Guy Pierce is like, hey, man. Sucks what happened to your wife. How would you like some sweet revenge? And he's like, what do you mean? And he's Guy Pierce is like, oh, well, we're going to go and take care of the guy that raped and beat up your wife. Now, mind you, this is like maybe a half hour after this crime has occurred. And Guy Pierce somehow already knows who the rapist is. But, you know, that's the least of your suspension of disbelief that I need to ask you to have. So we'll, okay. we'll keep going. So Nicholas Cage is like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, I just need a favor sometime. You know, we'll, we'll take care of this dude. But just like, you know, you'll just owe me a favor. And he's like, I'll tell you what. If you decide you want to do it, go down to the third floor oncology department to the vending machines and buy a, fuck, what is it called? It's a forever bar. I forgot to look up if forever bars were real things. I don't think they are. <clears throat> um... But that's also foreshadowing as to how long it's going to take Nick Cage to pay off this debt. So Nick Cage, of course, goes down. And there's a bald man sitting at a table and a heavy set security guard like staring at him. And so Nick Cage goes over and buys a forever bar and then pauses and looks around all nervous and then buys the second one. So I don't understand that. So the security, the, the fat security guard is like, oh, well, might as well treat yourself, huh, buddy? Like in a hospital, right? So Nick Cage is like, boy, what do you know? What do you know? And he's like, oh, I'm just saying, it looks like a candy bar. And then you see that the bald guys disappeared. So foreshadowing, you know, part like four. So then it cuts to the, the rapist getting home and Nicholas Cage had given his wife this necklace for their anniversary or something for her birthday. It's her birthday. And the rapist ripped it off her. So you see the rapist come home and just casually take this like rape trophy and set it down on his coffee table and like relax with a beer. And then this dude comes into his house and they tussle and the dude shoots him in the head and kills him. So within like an hour ish of January Jones getting raped Guy Pierce has found who raped her and contacted a man that apparently owes him a favor too and gotten him to go and murder the rapist and we're 25 minutes into the movie maybe maybe not even that so then Nicolas Cage you know is all happy that you know his wife recovers and they love each other and you know he's being like the understanding you know attentive husband then Guy Pierce hits him up and he's like, hey man, I need that favor. 
And Nicolas Cage is like, oh, I didn't think you were serious. And he's like, dude, we killed your wife's rapist. And he's like, yeah, but I mean, like, I didn't know I'd actually have to do anything for that. I was in a bad place when I told you that I accepted. And I didn't know you were going to kill him. And he was like, yeah, well, we did. So now you got to do this shit. So they have him go and follow this family at the zoo. And then they're supposed to... He's supposed to follow them, and if they meet up with a guy, he's supposed to call Guy Pierce on his cell phone and let him know. So that happens. So then Nick Cage is all freaked out because I don't know, he doesn't know like what's going on. And let me tell you, first of all, this is like legitimately one of the worst Nick Cage performances ever for being like invested enough that it hurts but so phoned in that it's painful if that makes any sense yeah well so anyway my limited research shows that he got nominated for a razzie for this role so oh my god he deserved to win i hope he won so anyway so then they're like hey dude we got another favorite ass and nicholas cage is like nah man i did your favor i got did your favor i followed him i followed him and i called you and he's like yeah this is the second part of that favor i need you to murder him and Nicholas Cage is like, I can't do it. And he's like, we really think you should do it because you made a promise. And Nicholas Cage is like, oh, I didn't know the promise was going to be murder. I've never murdered anybody. I don't think I can do it. And Guy Pierce is like, mm, wish you'd reconsider. And so then, like, Guy Pierce's goons, one of whom is the bald guy from the hospital, whose name in the credits is Cancer, hmm. and some other fat guy that owes him a favor, they start, like, intimidating Nick Cage and, like, basically breaking into his house while January Jones is there. But she never sees him. They just, like, open the door and rearrange fridge magnets and stuff. I, I swear to God, like, that's a plot point. <laughs> <laughs> but this all freaks Nicolas Cage out because... Well, right, he doesn't want to get raped a second time, right? Well, I think he thinks that somebody's going to get murdered or whatever. So anyway, mm. so they're like, we need you to get on the bus and then get off the bus at this stop. And there's going to be this dude there. He's a pedophile, we promise. And all you got to do is as you're walking past him on the ramp, just bump him and he'll fall off to his death. You just got to bump him a little. You got to do nothing. We got all the cameras turned off. So... And he Dennis, takes the bus. Dennis Duffy protocol there, yeah. <laughs> but then he can't manage to get off the bus. So the guy lives another day. So then they flatten his tire and threaten him again. And so he's like, all right, cool, I'm going to murder this dude. So the progression here of intimidation is rearranging magnets and then slashing his tires? Well, he doesn't know they slashed his tires, but obviously it's a uh, pretty safe bet and that's the thing is like okay i'll do it and then she's january jones is like oh i called triple a he's like no why did you call triple I, I i can't let you be involved in this so anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. so he gets back on the bus and gets off the bus where he was supposed to murder the guy but he doesn't follow the instructions i don't know how he knows the guy is going to be there but he just just happens to do it so all right, so it's an, it's on an overpass, so he has to walk down the ramp, like, that would go down to the street, you know, so it's like a bus stop that, like, you go down, like, a couple of 
rampways and it leads you back down to like street level. Mm-hmm. So he goes down and the guy comes and the guy's got his bike. The guy had his bike on the bus, like this giant fully assembled fucking Huffy. Mm-hmm. And the guy's carrying the bike. Okay. So Nicholas Cage sees him and he's like, excuse me, Mr. Marsh. This guy's name is like something, Steve Marsh or something. He's like, excuse me, Mr. Marsh. Marsh. And Steve Marsh goes, Ugh! and throws his bike at Nicholas Cage. <laughs> so Nicholas Cage like gets hit by the bike. He's like, oh, and then tosses it off and it falls down to the street below and like hits a car or whatever. So then the guy rushes Nicholas Cage and tries to attack him. And they struggle a little bit. And then the guy, like, basically, he doesn't really get pushed off. He just, like, loses his balance over this, like, like three and a half foot tall gardener. So, I like, he had to, like, I don't know. So, Nicholas Cage tries to save him. But it doesn't work. And the guy falls to his death and is killed. Okay. So, then Nicholas Cage is like, mm, and he runs up, gets back on the bus, drives away. So then, how far are we in this fucking movie now? Ah, this is like maybe forty-five minutes in. It's not quite halfway through at this point. Holy shit! Okay, it's 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 a lot of fucking movie. So then Nicolas Cage goes home, and he's all bent out of shape because he just murdered somebody. But he calls um Guy Pierce, and Guy Pierce is like, "You did a good job." Will, what's his name? Will. Did a good job, Will. We appreciate the help. You're off the hook now. But then, like, five minutes later, the cops come, and they're like, yo, Will Garner, you murdered that dude, Steve Marsh. You're coming to jail. And Nick Cage is like, oh, I I thought I was protected. So they take him to jail. So then when he's in, okay, so back back up to the important plot. So the way that you can tell that someone's involved, okay, so another important plot. So Guy Pierce is the head of the shadow organization of vigilantes that works out of New Orleans and murders people that deserve it. That's oh. it. And so, like, basically they hook you in because something bad happened to one of your family members and or friends or whatever. And that's how they hook you. And then they get you to kill somebody. So then they can hook somebody. But basically, it's like a pyramid scheme of, like, fucking vigilante murder. So... The key to know that someone is involved in Vigilante Murder Club is they say the phrase, the hungry rabbit jumps. This is the phrase. So, Nicholas Cage is taken to jail, or he's in the, the police, like the, the box, and the detectives are interrogating him, like, why'd you kill him? Nick Cage is like, I don't even know who you're talking about, because he didn't know the guy's name. He thought the guy was a pedophile. And they're like, oh, why'd you kill this dude? We found this. So, mind you, this guy got pushed off of an overpass. So, he was like probably 25 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. Fell to his death and got run over by a truck. <laughs> but they uh-huh. have his perfectly unbroken cell phone. Mm. And they're like, oh, here's a video of you at the zoo that this guy took. We found it in his phone. So, randomly, they unlock this man's, this dead man's phone. In, How long has it been since the death at this point? I, who knows? Like an hour? So they unlock the dead man's phone and they find the video of Nick Cage mm-hmm. at the just, just not just randomly at the zoo. So right. they're like, "Oh, we got." Hold on, that's a camera. coincidence. He wasn't following him at the zoo. Oh no, no, he was following their. He was following his family at the zoo, and his family videotaped him, and I guess sent the cell phone footage to him. Okay, 
it doesn't it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So they 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 have, and then they have the footage from the other camera on the underpass that worked that shows Nicolas Cage walking down to the underpass before Marsh comes down, and then shows Nicolas Cage running away a few minutes later, and they're like, "We thought you didn't know this guy," and he's like, "I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about." And they're like, "We have you cold. Like we know that you were." So they have basically like two pieces of circumstantial evidence. I mean, I know it's like pretty damning circumstantial evidence, but still, like, they don't have him, like, doing the crime. There's no eyewitnesses. He was at the zoo on a random day and, like, that incriminates him. Fucking bullshit. But they're gonna throw the book at him, because they know he did. So they go to their captain, who's played by Xander Berkeley, and they're like, yo, Cap, we got this guy. We're gonna throw the book at him. And Xander Berkeley is like, why don't you let me take a turn with him? I haven't been in the box in a long time. I want to take a turn with him. And they're like, yeah, cool. And so he goes. Did they call it? Did they call it the box in this movie? I'm calling it the box. So I can't remember what they call it. Oh, okay. It's like the interrogation room. They call right. it or something. No. Right. So we're just talking about homicide, of course. Right. Right. So Xander Berkeley goes in, and they're all pissed off. They're like, this is our college, and they're like, this. There's a man dead, and he's like, look at the board. There's 23 other men dead that you're responsible for. Solve one of those instead. So completely, like, breaking protocol. Whatever. Again, like, it makes no sense. Right. So he goes in, and he's like, hey, Will Gerard, um, I'm Captain So-and-so. I'm going to ask you some questions. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite kind of ice cream? What do you call so-and-so? Like, what, what's do you your know, name do, for your wife? Do you remember what his favorite type of ice cream was? No, but his favorite color is purple. Okay. I do remember that. Because um, Xander Berkeley is purple and makes a note. <laughs> I swear to God, that happened. So, so, so fucking right, yeah, purple is sus, right? <laughs> Suspect. <laughs> so he's like, one last question. Nicholas Cage's like, yeah, go ahead. And he says, rabbit jumps. The, hung- the hungry rabbit. Mm-hmm. And Nicholas Cage goes, jumps. And Xander Berkeley's like, right. Uh-huh. I'm under your cuffs. I'm going to let you leave out the back. You've got like an hour to get out of town. I don't ever want to see you again. But thanks for your help. So, you know, this conspiracy goes all the way up. <sighs> Fuck. There's so much in this movie left, too. There's like like 35 minutes. In this movie. I know. Let me, let me just quickly interrupt. The plot description on Wikipedia is so long that it's been tagged with one of those things where it says the plot summary may be too long or excessively detailed. Right, I think the person the, the person who tagged it that way I don't think understands. They need to watch the movie. Right. So he escapes and then he finds out that the guy that he killed was actually an award-winning journalist who was investigating the vigilante organization. And that's why they had him killed. Um, so then, all of a sudden, Guy Pierce and his henchmen show up. But Will runs away. So it's... <laughs> For some reason, he goes back to the scene of the crime, like where he murdered the guy. And he climbs... He climbs over the railing. And then, like, Spider-Man climbs under the overpass onto the I-beams, like, above this busy freeway. Like, rush hour traffic. So there's, like, four henchmen with guns. 
and Nicolas Cage crawling underneath the bridge. And no one stops. No one there. No car ops are alerted. Just happening. So they try and get him. So Nicolas Cage ends up jumping over, like, kind of, like, swinging over a barbed wire fence and dropping onto the freeway. And then running past, like, a series of cars. And in one of the greatest CGI sequences ever. Be- he, so he runs past, like, the, whatever, like, northbound traffic, we'll call it. And he hops over the Jersey barriers. And then when he's running in the southbound traffic, he causes a car accident. Where he runs so fast that he, like, arches his back. Just as a flatbed truck is, like, skidding around. So it just barely avoids missing his back. And then he jumps over. So then that that henchman whose name Scar is chasing him. Then he gets hit by a car and dies. Like as Nicolas Cage runs away. And Guy Pierce is like, oh man, this is what happens? This guy died? We gotta get Nick Cage. But he calls him Will Gerard whatever. Right. So anyway, so so at some point you find out that his wife, January Jones, had... Oh, no. So, remember, they had the flat tire. She called Triple A. Right. Right. So, she goes triple, down... Triple A's key. All right. Right. So, she goes down to the garage, because they have, like, this enclosed garage, and opens up the glove box to get the lug nut lock so the guy can change the tire, and she finds her necklace that the rapist took from her. And she's like, oh, my God. What's, what's he involved like, what's Will doing with this necklace? So they talk on the phone, and he basically, like, has to come clean to her to the whole thing that happened. Like, you know, and she's like, or no, no, no. He convinces her to meet him at her practice, which she does. And so he tells her the whole story, and she's like, baby, I'd have done the same if somebody would have raped you. <laughs> and, then they, and then they embrace, and, like, everything's fine. Uh, right. And I'm right. And... The two cops that let him escape because they let their fucking corrupt vigilante commander go in and just let him go. Oh, mm-hmm. so that's another funny part. Like, they go in and, like, the one detective's like, uh, Captain, Will Gerard is gone. And Xander Berkeley's like, what? That's crazy. And then, like, they have to go catch Will Gerard. So, everybody's everybody's on, like, his tail. And you finally learn that Harold Piranu, who was Nick Cage's best friend. Chess partner, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Partner, and he was the principal at Nick Cage's school. I don't know if I mentioned that. That's that's a really important plot point for the first 20 minutes, though it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> right. Um, was that is actually part of the Shadow Organization and is the reason that they found Nick Cage. And Christ. The that, is everybody a part of the Shadow Organization? Like, look, I'm not even... I, I swear to God, there's still like 25 minutes left. <laughs> Where the fuck the, is Jennifer Carpenter? She is January Jones' best friend that serves no purpose except for exposition when January Jones needs to tell you what's happening in the movie. Gotcha. They they cut they cut scenes with her then? Yep. Okay. And then, I mean, she's, she's in it. Well, no, but, like, but I'm saying, like, the, the, she, she doesn't sign up for a part's best for exposition best friend. Like, she's not, I mean, I, she's not an A-level actress or a B-level actress, but she she's more than that. So, they cut some scenes. They had to. Sorry, go ahead. Seven minutes of this movie total. Yeah. Oh, it, there also is the obligatory at the beginning scene of Nicolas Cage dancing with a beautiful woman. 
and making a noise like hee hee pointing his fingers at the sky and like you know dancing anyway. It was, it was January. So fuck. So Nick Cage finds out that Harold Harold Purinu is involved. And then at some point the Shadow Organization had kidnapped January Jones. So they're at first they're at the Superdome because Nick Cage uses the dead Jesus, I forgot all about that plot point. So Nick Cage breaks into the dead journalist's office at the fucking New Orleans Picky Union or whatever. And steals all of his research, which is just left there on his desk. And he uses that to deduce that the name of the uh, Guy Pierce's real name is like Eugene. And so Nick Cage calls him. He's like, hey, Eugene, I know things about you. Now it's my turn to make you do stuff. So he makes him go to a baseball game in the Superdome, which I don't know what baseball game is played there, but I think that's what's happening. No. Oh, my God. It's even better than that. It's a motherfucking monster truck rally. Oh, my God. That's what he So he has Guy Pierce sit down. He calls me. He's like, don't get too comfortable, Eugene. I need you to get up and go to the concourse. Head towards the concourse. Are they they showing footage of monster truck shit going on while this is happening? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, no, they actually do the like awesome thing they used to do in the eighties, where you get to see like, like forty five seconds of a monster truck rally. Mm-hmm. People, right. Like, like I swear to God, like, like, like fourteen thousand people in the stadium cheering these goddamn monster trucks. Right. But they didn't get Bigfoot or Grave Digger, so it's not legit. Um. So then Nick Cage's like, I need you to head to the concourse, and he hangs up. Then Guy Pierce walks to the concourse, and he's like, "You see that hot dog stand? Go by." A hot- no, no, no. He's like, "Go in the bathroom." Eugene. So Guy Pierce goes in the bathroom. Then he's in the bathroom. Then his phone rings again. Take a leak, Eugene. So then he pisses. So then he calls him back. Wash your hands, Eugene. Come back out to the concourse. So he does that. It's like God, I'm so I'm I'm so annoyed right now. I'm I can imagine this Nick Cage delivering these lines, and I'm so annoyed. Like, and the thing I'm is, so is that he 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 doesn't keep him on the phone. He keeps calling him back. So like he's like, go to the bathroom. Click. So Guy Pierce is like, fuck. So he walks to the bathroom. He's in the bathroom. He's like, God damn it. Then the friend rings, ring, ring. And then Guy Pierce like, click, yes. He's like, take the leak, Guy Pierce. And Guy Pierce like, fuck. So he hangs up, puts the phone in his pocket, goes and pisses. In a trough. I, anyway, whatever. You know, like, I got, I got my own hangers. But so he comes out and he goes to buy a hot dog. And the Nicholas Cage is behind him. He's like, what's up, buddy? How do you like it? I swear to God. Like, so like, I think that's the exact line. So... I like them apples. Yeah. So then Guy Pierce gets a phone call and he's like, hold on a second, Nicolas Cage, you gotta take this. Even though Nicolas Cage like has all this damning information and basically has him in the palm of his hand, Guy Pierce's like, well, well, hold up. He's like, yeah, yeah, you got her? All right, cool. And he shows him a picture like, there's your wife tied up, so how you like them apples? They <laughs> so then they Fucking walk swerves, man. to this, like, I swear, like, it's like, let's go across the street to the mall. And they walk in, and Nicolas Cage is like, it's crazy that nobody ever did anything with this thing after Katrina. Like, that's a line in this movie. <laughs> so, like, that's the, the important piece of information in this right. tense situation? Right. It's like, huh. Uh, is the that, urban they just had, the screenwriter just had to come up with a reason. Of put him in the mall. 
Well, right. It was an abandoned mall, and they they needed a reason of why it was why it's abandoned, and it's like Katrina. So anyway, so they're in there, and then Guy Pierce has Nick Cage and January Jones at gunpoint, and Harold Pierney's there, and a couple other henchmen. So Nicholas Cage has a gun too. Um, also, that was a plot point that happened. That Jesus, there's so many little things that happened in this movie in the two hour runtime or however fucking long it's got. Meticulously scripted, man. So Nicholas Cage didn't want January Jones to buy a gun, but she wanted to buy a gun because she was afraid of getting raped again. Right. So she openly bought mates, but she secretly bought a gun. <laughs> so Nicholas Cage has her gun, but I don't remember how that happened. Oh, it was when they met up at the um uh her practice and she he found he was like, Babe, why do you have this? And she's like, Well, aren't you glad I do? And he was like, Oh yeah. So then he takes it. So he has Guy Pierce at gunpoint. Guy Pierce has her at gunpoint. And Harold Pierre has him at gunpoint. And then one of the other bad guys has Nicholas Cage. It's like a Mexican standoff. Right, sure, right. But yeah. where you just want everyone to die. So Nicholas Cage shoots a henchman. Then Guy Pierce shoots at him but misses. But then Harold Pierre shoots a henchman. Because he's changed his mind and he now wants to like help Nicholas Cage because they're best friends and he was just trying to help him out by getting his wife's rapist murdered um, and forcing him into a life of murder servitude. Um, so then there's this weird like scene where Nicholas Cage and one of the henchmen topple down a disassembled escalator. So it's just like a metal slide, basically. Okay. And they slide to the bottom and somehow Nicholas Cage flips around enough where the henchman gets impaled by a piece of broken glass, but Nicolas Cage is fine. So Harold Pierre gets shot and killed, and then they all oh, no, 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 okay, okay, okay. So they're chased by Guy Pierce, and they end up shooting him and killing him. Like, they, he gets to jump on Guy Pierce and he kills him. So then Xander Berkeley walks in, and like, yeah, who shot him? And Nicolas Cage is like, I shot him. And Xander Berkeley is like, nah. What I see is two bad guys that shot each other. Wink. <laughs> and so then Nicolas Cage leaves. So then it cuts to like a news program saying like, ah, um, Will, Will, Will Gerard cleared of all charges. School teacher innocent. But Xander Berkeley's part of this organization. Yeah, yeah, but he's letting him. He's letting him off because I don't know why. Reasons. More, more murder servitude, or no, no, no. Like it's, it's just. I guess like he figures he paid his debt and whatever. He'll keep his mouth shut. Okay. Even though Nicholas Cage has absolutely no real, well, except for the fact that he did like legitimately almost murder someone. Right. So okay. So also, I'm isn't Nicholas Cage still under suspicion for this previous murder? No, 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 no. He's 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 clear. He's he's clear to murder charges of the journalist. Okay. That's what that, that's what the TV says. Okay. So. At one point, Nicholas Cage, in order to get information about who Steve Marsh or whatever actually was, goes to the Irish Wake for Steve Marsh in like this bar, and is doing shots with these journalists. And he's like, "Hey, one of the things that uh, old Steve told me about was um he was researching this super secret organization of murderers." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that's crazy! Were there aliens in the organization? Ha ha ha!" But he never told you that, you fucking cop rat. Get the fuck out. So anyway, so that comes back in later. So, well, what this movie still okay? 
ahead. So then, after he's cleared, he goes to the the Picayune or whatever <clears throat> and sees one of the guys from the bar, and he's like, hey, man, I wanted to bring back all of uh, Steve's notes and stuff. Maybe you can do something with that, you know, and, like, make his life work mean something. And the journalist is like, yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll take a look at it. You know what they say? The hungry rabbit jumps or something, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, like, rack focus on Nicolas Cage's face and then cut. End of movie. So that's the movie. God. Did it, how long did it take me to describe that? Like 25 I, minutes? Oh, I think it was longer than that, Frank. I think it was yeah. longer than that. I think this is going to be by far, if we're going to, this episode is going to end up being like as long as our traditional podcast. So that's the movie. I think and I think I, really, I think that was like thirty five minutes. I really felt like it was important to describe to you, because usually I can just say you know like whatever he's like freed out of jail and here's some funny things, mm-hmm. but like the absolute level of absurdity in this movie, from plot point to plot point, is like almost sublime. It, it's like it's it's honestly more like a parody than anything, but it's not because it's super serious and it's really bad. So that's it. A lot of good actors, you know, slumming it. Right. Like I said, his performance, whatever. I don't know. It's like a five or something. Like sometimes he's really funny and he makes, oh my God. So when, when they show him the video of him at the zoo, he's making this face like, it, it, it's it's like, mid-2000s, like, camera technology. So it's, like, you know, potato quality or whatever. Mm-hmm. But his head is, like, really elongated in the picture, and he's, like, basically opening and closing his mouth like a fish <laughs> because I guess he's nervous. Like, that was what he was intending to, I don't know, convey. But it's just weird-looking, and he's just like, blah, 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 blah. So there seems like that to just make you laugh. Like, right, I right. swear to you, the, the him basically doing gymnastics this fucking 40 some year old high school english teacher like doing these like i don't know like contortions and gymnastics on the highway avoiding cars doing like 60 miles an hour is amazing like it's it would be mildly unbelievable in a superhero movie like black panther chasing captain america and winter soldier on the highway is more believable than watching this occur. Because at least you've already accepted that they're superheroes. Like, Nick Cage is a schlub. <laughs> like, it's just the worst. Right. Like, oh, my God. And the okay. shit with New Orleans, like, and he's not a producer. Like, I had to, like, when I realized it was New Orleans, I had to stop the movie and look it up on Wikipedia, which I almost never do, to see if he was a producer on it. And he was not. And I was stunned. I was like, how the fuck? Like, um, and there's a sex scene with him and January Jones that rivals the uncomfortable sex scene between him and Sarah Paulson in fucking um, The Runner. And it's like, Nicolas Cage is always on top. And Nicolas Cage won't get it in. Like, that's that's what you need to know about Nicolas Cage sex scenes. Always on top, gonna get it in. Except in The Weatherman, where the girl's on top. But then that's like a, a black comedy, so I guess that doesn't count. Plus, it was before he owed like $7 billion to the IRS and a bunch of creditors and had to work it off by being in goddamn seeking justice. 
This movie was originally titled The Hungry Rabbit Jumps, by the way, too. But I guess they thought that wasn't a good enough title, so they changed it to Seeking Justice. So you got any questions or anything? Oh, and here's another fun fact. Cost $31 million to make, made $14 million, was released first in Italy for some reason, like only in Italy. And then in the UK, like a couple months later, and didn't get released in the US until March of 2012, and made $14 million, which I don't even know. I would like to find people that have seen If you've seen this movie in the theater, I would like you to reach out to us. And let me know what that experience was like. Because number one, 2011. So you were probably paying eight and a quarter, eight seventy five for a movie. Maybe like nine and a quarter. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to know like how you felt with that nine and a quarter spent. I hope you went to the matinee, you know. But like if you saw this at a premium t- show time, like what was your impression walking out of this movie? What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes for this movie is? I actually didn't look that up, so I I'm gonna say thirty eight percent. It's actually twenty eight percent. Okay, stupendously high. Like no idea why it's that high. Seventy nine reviews, so it was pretty well reviewed. Um, so I I'm probably gonna go back and read some of them. Um, but yeah. So okay. so I have I have I have too many things for this movie. Okay, first of all, I want to. I just want to follow up with the Razzie stuff. So this year for the Razzies, he was nominated for Drive Angry, Season of the Witch. Hold on, is this? No, wrong one. For this year, it was Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, and Seeking Justice. He was nominated for both for Razzies. Um, in the same year, Robert Pattison for Breaking Dawn Part 2, Tyler Perry for Alex Cross, and... Good Deeds, um, and then Eddie Murphy for A Thousand Words, and the winner was Adam Sandler for That's My Boy. Um, Appropriate. Yeah, Adam Sandler won a couple years in a row. Um, He was in some really bad movies for several years in a row. Yeah, sure. Uh, So, okay, so that's first, just to follow up on that. Do you know who the director of this movie is? I mean, this is not a a complete schlub. Right, he's a legitimate director. He did a few good movies. I mean, he has a decent streak, I guess. Like, well, not it's not. It's actually the the more you dig into the movies, it's really not that good. I mean, um, the bounty is okay, I guess. Oh, I've never like seen it. If it has to do with water, I've, I've cocktail and Cadillac Man are probably like his two best, and then yeah, No Way Out, which I awful. just watched. Getaway, t- Getaway is terrible but fantastic. Like right. it is, it's it hilarious. Is terrible. Funny movie. Species, terrible movie. Dante's Peak, terrible movie. One of the worst movies. 13 Days, terrible movie. The Recruits, terrible movie. 13 Days is an alright movie? Nah, I don't it's think It's just so. a stage play. I mean, it's fine. Alright, it's fine. 13 but Days yeah. is a fine movie. Right. It wouldn't go on a list that I love it or anything like that, but I mean, it's a fine movie. There's nothing wrong with it. Um... Yeah, the more you dig into these movies, but it's just a fine movie. Like, uh, you dig into these movies, and it's like, yeah, his best movies are either Cocktail or Cadillac. Man, Cocktail's not a good movie. Um, when you really Cocktail's think about it, right? In the wrong way. Well, that's that's the trend here. Like, they're actually 
some of them are just a lot of them are just funny movies that are just fine to bad. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this follows suit. I guess. Okay. Dante speaks really bad. It's it's a, ugh. it's it's it's. I don't know which one's worse, that or volcano, but it's one. Oh my god, that was going to be my question. Uh, the answer is volcano. Yeah, I think that's true. Volcanoes. Look, are Daddy, everybody's great. Yeah, it's bad. All right. So next, why do you think English teacher? Or English professor or something like that. I would Why? imagine it's probably something that he wanted to do. I mean, because it's it's this, it's um, paying the ghost, it's uh, knowing, it's yeah. um, fuck. He was an English oh, teacher. Oh, I know, I know, I I know why. I just found it. His his father was a professor of literature. Okay, there you go. We pay pay paying homage to the old dad. Which right, is fine. Yeah. His his mom, though, was a dancer in choreography. He doesn't fucking dance very much. Fuck old mom, huh? He, no, he dances in every movie. That's not true. He's always dancing. Really? Any Anytime he has... The, and he's not, like, a dancer. He does He does a lot of spins, I guess. Like, and, spins, and, and two steps. Yeah, right. He does, like, the... He kicked um, his leg... Right, he kicked his leg out on that interview we, like, watched a few weeks ago. He does the uh, um, crane kick stance, like he likes doing that. He does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I guess. I guess there is some. Yeah, acro- don't, don't acrobatics. I guess going on a little bit. I know what's what. <laughs> All right, last thing. Okay, so we need to talk about the New Orleans shit. This is this since since it became so pivotal in this podcast. Um, it's probably time to talk about it. Is this fucker's obsession with New Orleans? So his obsession with New Orleans seems to start. Um, when he buys Madame Lalaurie's house uh-huh. and sells it two years later because of all of his debt, when he also sells his Action Comics number one at the same time, um, for like two million dollars or something like that. So, do you know about like Nick Cage and his voodoo? I don't. Maybe I do. So Nick Cage apparently learned how to practice voodoo <clears throat> around the time because he says the, the Lori house was haunted, um, and he starts like getting like doing this like deep dive shit into like New Orleans and all of like the culture and stuff like that, and he ends up basically becoming a voodoo practitioner um, according to his claims. Um, Reasonable. Uh, so this is important also because a story that just came out in the past week is that Seth Rogen has said that. Uh, Nick Cage doesn't like him very much because when Seth Rogen was doing Green Lantern, he wrote that, right? Yeah. Um, Seth Rogen wrote Green Lantern? I I think so, yeah. Um, (laughs) So, or was he like, I can't remember. Um, Seth Rogen? Yeah, he had something to do with it. Um. Was he? Did he? Did he have a role? Yeah, no. Him and Evan Goldberg wrote it. Yeah, um, they wrote that Green Lantern movie. Um, but uh, isn't there? There's Green Hornet. Sorry, not Green Lantern. Green Hornet. Right. Um, right. Right. So anyway, the villain in Green Hornet, Cage wanted to play him, but Cage came in with all these ideas. How the, he wanted the guy to be a voodoo practitioner and like have like this like you know, kind of 
kind of Jamaican hairstyle and all this other stuff. So apparently that movie Spring Breakers that James Franco was in. Mm -hmm, I like that movie. So this Franco character, the elements of that character is exactly what was described by Cage as what he wanted to do for the Green Hornet. Mm. And Cage has um, like specifically claimed that like he thinks Seth Rogen told Franco all of his ideas and Franco stole the ideas um, and used them in Spring Breakers. Um, so this is just a story that's broken like the past like week or so. Um, yeah, so like Nicolas Cage apparently knows voodoo. Um, and do you know about like, and he loves New Orleans so much, like down on the French Quarter, you know about his pyramid? His pyramid? Yeah, his pyramid tomb. Um, all right, so I'm going to quickly, just so you can see it, share the screen with you. Can can you can you see Nick Cage's pyramid tomb? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so he has a cemetery down the French Quarter. He he has a pyramid tomb for his eventual demise, uh, so he can rest in the French Quarter uh, forever. Yeah, it's it's good to love things. <laughs> so this guy's obsessed. So yeah, you're right. I'm really surprised that um. He's not a producer on this. Like, how? But maybe that's the thing is maybe him and Tobey Maguire. I mean, I, I'm assuming they're friends because Maguire likes to cast him and shit, right? So that he's on, he's a producer on. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe he was like, "Oh, Toby, uh, I got some really good ideas for how we could spice this movie up." Uh, I'm thinking, uh, you know, New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> There's one point where they're throwing beads at each other, but for no reason. Like, nobody's, like... There's, like, tossing beads back and forth. This is the one that means. Right. Just FYI. Yeah. Maybe he is drawn to movies that, like, it's basically... Maybe there's, like, a almost like a... Like, a, a, an alert with Cage's agent that it's, like, if mm -hmm. anything has to do with New Orleans, it's, like, it comes to Cage first. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, I, I, I can see that being true. That's still crazy. <laughs> That's true, but um, all right. Yeah, I think I think that's everything. The New Orleans shit's crazy, though. Um, he's he's so he's so in love with New Orleans, and I think to his detriment sometimes. <sighs> what year was this? Two thousand eleven. So, season of the witch we did. Mm -hmm. Drive angry we did. Mm -hmm. Trespass? Did we do that? I've watched it. I don't know if we've done it. Yet. I, I don't think. I, yeah, I have to look. I don't. No, think no, no, we did it. We did it. That's the we one did? where um, he's the diamond dealer, and the people break into his house. But it turns out that he's not really a diamond yes. dealer. He's a fraud. Yes, yes, I do remember this. Right, right, right. right. And then Seeking does... Justice, 2011 is done. 2011. Oh, yes. over. Yeah, it's good to have one in the 2000s done. All right, 2011 is over. Um. We still haven't done Sorcerer's Apprentice yet, so that's uh, so 2010 still open. Uh, we are done with 2012, and 2013 is over. So, so you got you got a say, you got a streak here going, Frank. 11, 12, 13 is done. Have we done? We've done Rage, right? No. Uh, uh -huh. Left Behind, we done. Dying of the Light, we did. Rage is the one where his daughter is um, kidnapped. And he like tried to go straight, but then there's the Russian mob. I'm pretty yeah. sure we talked about this, or I just okay, okay, yeah, that's correct. That's that's it. So 
You, we might have fourteen done. Um, and, and then the, if all we have to do is sorcerer's apprentice, that fucking shit's next. Hold week. on, outcast. We did. We talked about outcast. That's the, the runner one. we did, and pay the ghost. I know we did. So you have fifteen done. So we're so so far eleven through fifteen is finished. You have the trust done in sixteen. Sixteen is where you get fucked, Frank. Um, the trust is done. Dog eat dog is done. Army of one. Did we? Did we do that? No. That's the I comedy. Haven't. Oh yeah, right. That's the Larry Charles comedy, right? So in sixteen, you have Snowden, USS Indianapolis, and Army of One. All right, that's fine. And then I think we have seventeen done. It looks like I think yeah. Um, I think. All right. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's slow, slow but sure. We're getting there. You have some of the worst cage years done, though. Um, Bully for me. Yeah. Thank God he can't go back in time and um, make more. All right. So last week we discussed this video I found of Cage talking about his favorite, the, the performances in his favorite movies that he's done. Um, and you said that you were going to come up with your top five uh, Nick Cage movies. I got so how do you want to do this? I'm going to go ahead and share this with you so you can see Cage discussing these performances um, and let everybody listen in. But do you want to give your five, like your like fifth movie and then I'll play Cage's fifth movie? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, we're, so... we're talking about the best performances, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's how he's judging it, yeah. So my number five for best performances is Bad Lieutenant, Court of Call, New Orleans. Um, okay. I think it's pretty, pretty amazing, Lee over the top, ridiculous performance. Okay, and 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 have have we talked about all these performances? Yeah, that you have. Okay, and we've talked about all the performances that he talks about. So let's let's go ahead and see. So the title card this here. Is the first time I think. This is Vampire's Kiss, number five for his performance that he's going to talk about. That a concept really came into focus for me. A concept of let's not get stuck in the style of naturalism for film acting like we're all doing. Let's explore the boundaries of where you can go with acting. And I was recalling images from German Expressionism like Nosferatu, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari trying to make a silent film almost in a, in a modern setting in those days with the 80s. And I was very happy with the results. And I also realized that in order to do that and have it work, you, you have to play a character who has some fundamental flaw that's affecting the way he perceives himself and the world around him. All right. How do you feel about like, do you, he's, so here's the thing is in terms of his acting style, he in, in the past 10 years where he used to talk about his like acting style in like some sort of punk rock way and stuff like that, like that he was trying to break mold and break barriers and not have go over the edge is I think what he calls it back in the eighties. This like idea of like going beyond the edge is how he describes it. Now he refers to it as things like, you know, uh, 
German expressionism <laughs> um, <clears throat> and stuff like that. Do you see that in that role? Like, I see how he sees it. <laughs> Explain that to like, me. Like, I think I can see after he says that where he thinks that's what he was doing. I I really enjoyed um, uh, Vampire's Kiss, so I thought it was an insane performance by him, but I thought that he sold it really well. I mean, it was enjoyable to watch. It was a fun movie. Yeah, I saw a video the other day where he talks about uh, eating the cockroach. And in that, like, and he, he, the director made him eat it twice because he thought Nicolas Cage was an asshole for eating it once because apparently the him and the director didn't get along. Yeah. And, um, but he, but this is an older interview and he describes it as like, no, it was a recent interview, more recent, but he, um, he describes it again as like how he was trying to affect a punk rock image, like, early in his career to gain notoriety and he had read about Ozzy like you know eating shit and stuff like that so he decided he was going to eat this cockroach in the movie and the director like disliked him so much that he made him eat it twice um two cockroaches and uh uh but yeah he said it was a video about the grossest thing that he's ever done in the movie um that came up and that was it all right so what's your number four movie uh, number four is Matchstick Men. Okay, that was a really good, um, restrained but also like moving performance. All right, so go ahead and play this. The title card here that he's getting ready to talk about is for Con Air. Oh. I did not want to do what people thought or the, the intelligentsia or the critics or whatever the community thought I should do. I wanted to go and break that mold and do something else, you know, wanted to zig instead of zag. <laughs> so that's why I followed Action Adventure and I had a very specific reason for doing that as well. The reason being that when I was doing uh, uh, Time to Kill in Africa, my father was with me. I noticed that all the uh, African folks were in these huts watching movies. And the movies they were watching were Charles Bronson movies. And I knew then that adventure films were the universal language. And I thought that if I would do that, it would give me tenure. So there, there's the there's the mystery solved that we've talked about off and on for a long time of these action movies, according to Cage, at least. Um, of of I, why yeah. <clears throat> makes sense. It does. I, I buy it. Here's the thing: I have watched so many Nicolas Cage interviews after we started this like podcast. Just in the past like four weeks, I've been watching so many. I don't know what to believe from Nicolas Cage. Like, this dude kayfabes so much shit sometimes that, like, I don't even know if he... I, I think it's like he tricks himself into believing certain things sometimes. All you need to do is believe the lie for it to be true. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and there is a very specific example at some point that I will bring up with that. But um, uh, in the future, before we finish this podcast. So what's your number three movie? Uh, number three is um, Lynch's Wild at Heart. Oh, shit. Um, Go ahead. I think that it's... 
maybe like the director that gets the most out of him from like the manic, like over the top side. Mm-hmm. Well, number three on Cage's list here is Wild at Heart. Um, so let's go ahead and share this. It was liberating. I remember I said to David, um, it, you know, is it okay to have fun while doing this? And he said, not only is it okay, it's necessary. And that voice, Nick, Nickster, Nickster, solid gold, Nickster. Yeah. Um, he was free you know he would come to the set and say things like i want you to sing opera in this scene about a mothball a cotton ball okay dude, i'll do it you know it was that kind of just go as you you know spontaneous filmmaking i literally love david lynch every time i hear people talk about david lynch he's he's a he's an oddball but <laughs> he does sound like he's just the nicest most yeah. open dude in the world. Um, so, do you see that, like, in the way he describes that, is like Lynch just asking him to do stuff and he just does it? Like, do you see that kind of freedom in that role? Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I mean, like, I think Lynch was just getting whatever he could out of this dude and like just trying everything. And I think you see that in the movie. But I also feel like it looks like they have a really good connection with each other in yeah. the movie, so. It's interesting that ne- it never happens again. Yeah, it's strange. Sure. Like, because I actually have heard Lynch talk positively about like that movie in Cage, so it's really weird that like that like. Yeah, know. maybe he never had anything he felt to be fit. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. All right, what's number two on your list? Uh, number two is uh, Moonstruck. Okay. You know, I think it's just a really. It has enough of, like, his craziness from that time period, but it's also, like, a good, like, romantic performance, and I think there's really good chemistry with him and uh, him and Cher. So he doesn't talk about Moonstruck here, but I have heard him talk a little bit about Moonstruck, and um, he also, like, later in his career talks about German Expressionism and talking about that role. Um, specifically, like, there's a scene where, like, he's holding his hand up in the air, yeah. And like and um and he's like trying to do like German expressionism there as well, incorporate that in. Um, but yeah, so number two on his list is adaptation. Um, so let's go ahead and listen to him talk about that. I was a little nervous about the masturbation sequences, but I thought it would give me a chance to do my take on what I admired so much that Jeremy Irons uh, had uh, done with Cronenberg when he played the, the, the twin. Hold on. Can you hear that, Frank? I can hear it. Okay. And some dead ringers. I, w- I, I wanted to play twins. I thought it would be a marvelous challenge. And uh, the best compliment I got when I, after Charlie and Donald Kaufman was I got a, a handwritten letter from David Cronenberg and he Hats off to you, so that meant a lot to me. Well, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, it feels like just like some sort of like a uh, backdoor like kudos to himself, basically that like Cronenberg sent him a note. Like right, um, right. you're literally one of the most recognizable stars in the world. You don't need to humble brag. <laughs> right, right. Um, this, is my, this is my friend. David Cronenberg, <laughs> who who he's so much more famous than David Cronenberg is. 
like casual people. Like my mom doesn't know who David Cronenberg is. She has no idea. You don't think so? Nope. Yeah, Not at all. Not at all. Um, does your mom know who David David Cronenberg is? Yeah, my mom would know. Yeah. Okay. She watches enough movies that she she'll probably tell me how she didn't like that one with the fly or whatever. But I know that she's seen the fly. Right. Talked about it. So. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, but yeah, everybody knows who Nick Cage is. All right, what's number one on your list? So my number one movie is adaptation. Honestly, I think that's, okay. I think it's, that's his best role. Good segue. Why and why is that? Like in terms of it's best? it's the role where he sublimates himself enough that he's truly a different character, and he's not just Nicolas Cage. I mean, it's really, it's the problem with all those really famous actors like, like Nicholson and like, um, I don't know, like even like people like Bill Murray and whatever is like, you just, you're, you're seeing that dude, like, you know who that dude is. And when you see Nicolas Cage, like no matter what he does, he's always going to be Nicolas Cage. So, yeah. All right. So Nick Cage's number one movie here is, uh, Leaving Las Vegas and let's, Listen to him talk about that. Bad choice. It was it was a movie that was shot very quickly, three or four weeks, and I'm thankful for that because I was exploring a very dark corner of my imagination doing that movie, and I was trying to get a little method with the performance. And um, I think if it had been a three month movie or six-month movie, it could have gone the wrong way. So I was thankful that it was quick. I mean, it was all like a blur to me because everything was happening so fast. And uh, I wish I could have relaxed more into it. But any time that your your fellow actors say, hey, good job, that's nice. You know, of course it is. The, the, the idea is to forget about it, not to dwell on it and then move on and try new things. Don't get trapped into the uh, the world of awards. Well, he certainly didn't do that. <clears throat> um, no danger there. It's really nice when, you're, when your friends say good job as he's talking in the very first one about the intelligentsia and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, he prides himself on the idea of beating into his own drum a lot. Like he really likes that aspect of himself. And, um, he's really uptight there in 2013. Having watched stuff with him in the past few years, that guy's much more relaxed than he was. Like he goes through these weird periods in his life. I mean, but Um, don't you think that that's really just partly because he's, Maybe now getting to the point where he can do roles that he appreciates again. Maybe, maybe. I mean, uh, I heard I heard him talk about Frozen Ground because that that was from 2013 when he's talking about that, and I've seen interviews him talking about Frozen Ground. He was really proud of Frozen Ground. That was a movie that you liked a lot. Mm-hmm. I know as well. Um, Which one of the first positive quick cages? Yeah, right. Uh, you were yeah because you were actually here at my house doing it. Um, and. Um, but yeah, like, uh, he's really proud of that. But it's like, yeah, maybe. I mean, that could be it. 
he he's a guy that seems like I don't know. I like I said, I want to listen to some more of him, like you know, over the course of like the next like twenty weeks, which I think we'll be wrapping up twenty five weeks, something like that. Um, We're gonna start combining some stuff together too, because there's some animated movies that I can right the one episode. Sure. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I think we're probably less than thirty at this point before like we're done this little experiment and. Um, well, not a little, it's pretty, it's pretty large actually. Um, but I want to listen to some more of him because it's really interesting how he develops over the years and just in terms of his personality and stuff like that and how he thinks of himself at different times. Um, I actually really like the Nick Cage that I see in the past few years. Um, I'm not a fan of like the Nick Cage in terms of a person and the way he talks and interviews and thinks of things for like the first like 20 years yeah right yeah right um let me ask you this though i mean like i'm not a fan of myself from when i was in my you know early to mid 20s you know what there is an interview that i want to watch with you with i can't remember who the fuck the interview is um interviewer is but it's from the 80s there is some stuff i want to like kind of like figure out like timestamps so I can play for you quickly um, a couple minutes here and there. There's actually a period in the eighties. I really like him. Um, he's really confident like in the, in the early eighties or like mid eighties, I guess um, about like where he's trying to go. And then it's almost like he just like loses it when the fame hits, which I mean, granted like that can, I'm just, that happens to a lot of people, but um there actually is an interview that I actually really like with him a lot where he's like, I guess, fighting back what he calls the intelligentsia in 2013. So there's a number of things I want to play for you, but like, he's so much more relaxed now and like chill, like in just in terms of, um, I think he has severe social anxiety from my analysis. Um, and like when it comes to like talking like to the press and all those kind of things. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some more stuff that I want to kind of like uh, curate and and play um, every couple weeks still for you. Awesome. <laughs> right, I'm sure you're excited. Um, I um actually really enjoyed listening to Seeking Justice. I'll be honest. <laughs> I it's the first Don't one in a long. It's the first bad one in a long time that um that I've that I've really enjoyed listening to a lot. It's the first one in a long time that was so bad it was worth talking about, but not just bad where, like, it just made me feel tired and, like, I wasted right. my life. Right. I well, honestly still think I wasted my life, but sure. I wasted my life for a good cause. Sure. Right. It is and a waste the, of your life. Do not go watch Seeking Justice. And more than it, well, you didn't actually, you get you gave the Nicholas Cage performance 5 out of 10. Um, what, did, what do you get the movie? Oh, it's a fucking two, man. That movie is trash. Right. It makes no sense. If it takes me 35 minutes, because, because you cannot leave out any aspect of that movie without having to go back and explain it at some point, because it doesn't make any sense. Well, some of the like, things, even when you went back and did it, it still didn't make any sense. Right, right, but you need to know it because it comes up again because it's all fucking like ridiculous foreshadowing of nothing. What? But it matters. Hold it on a second. Matter. Last question, and and then we're done because this is like the longest quick cage of all time. Um, long cage. Um, and 
Uh, not going to be as long, I can tell you, as fucking uh, Captain uh, Pan- Pan- Pantaleone's banjo or whatever. Um, mm. So, uh, <laughs> because that'll be the last Quick Cage ever, I think, at this point, And um, we'll end up talking about Nick Cage for a long time. Um, I have why, a really why good, the phone? I have a really good impersonation of Nick Cage for okay. Captain Carly's mandolin that I'm oh, just waiting good. to break out nice. when we do the... Yeah, good. See, yeah. Um, I'm gonna print out the script for for that movie and like have you like just like read read it. <laughs> He's in it a lot. <laughs> so you said the phone was like a major like the phone was the thing. Like, why was the phone the thing? Because they keep calling each other. Oh, okay. Like, I swear to God, they all. They're, I it makes no sense. They're either buying like burners all the time. <laughs> I swear to God, all their phones get destroyed, but they always have each other's number. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they call and it's like, oh, hey, oh, hey, hey, what are you doing, Will? Oh, hey, what are you doing there, uh, Eugene? And it's like, the, the phone is constant through the whole thing. Like, that's that's the push of the movie. Is like, if only Nick Cage would have answered the phone the first time, maybe his wife's rapist never would have gotten murdered or something. I don't know. I don't think that even matters, but they're always on the phone. Right. Okay. It's just setting you up to know that phones are important in this movie. So you're like, yeah, phones. Okay. Well, 2011 phones too. Like flip phones. Yeah. Or like the early, or the early non-flip phones that yeah, like, like, yeah, couldn't con- couldn't actually not, connect to the internet really Black well. Yeah. Blackberries were a little they, bit poor. That they can I show you the picture of Nick Cage, Hawkins Stealth at the zoo. <laughs> they can, right right um my my old chocolate lg could do that probably that sounds dirty all right <laughs> all right thank you for listening everybody goodbye have a good night